Hi, and welcome to the Frontiers podcast, sponsored by Gun.io. My name is Cal Evans. I'm your host, and my special guest today is Dave Hall. And Dave is coming to us all the way from the other side of the world. Say hi to everybody, Dave. Hey, everyone. And you can tell from his accent, I mean, of course, he's in Louisiana. No, I'm kidding. Um, Dave's all the way over in Australia. It's 1 a.m. for him. So we really appreciate Dave staying up and talking to us today. Hey, we're going to talk about lessons learned managing remotes, okay? Everybody um, with the COVID, everybody, a lot of people have gone to remotes. And managers have had to learn how to deal with managing remote. So we're going to talk about a few of the lessons that Dave has learned, and we got some questions we're going to ask him. Um, so, Dave, I do appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Um, before we dive into remotes a little bit, though, let's talk about the difference between a remote team and a distributed team. In your opinion, which, um, give us the difference between those. Yeah, so I say that they are quite different things. So uh, a remote team is where you have like a, a central office or um, a core group of people that are co-located. And then you have a few people spread out over the place. Um, but it's still primarily, um, you know, the office and then the, the people who are remote, whereas distributed is, it doesn't really matter where people are. It's focused on everything assuming that two people working together aren't co-located and building processes around having people uh, spread out and in different places. So even when people are in the, the same physical location, you still have processes that mean that um, everyone is able to participate in decision-making and the, the general engagement. Very good. Uh, it's an interesting distinction. Um, we're going to use the term remote here a lot, but I think what we're really talking about is what you've described is more of a distributed team. Um, and that is the type of team that I've worked on most of my career. Um, past 20 years, I have worked on distributed teams. Uh, a couple of those have been remote teams where the majority of it's in one place, but a couple of us are spread out, but for the majority of the time, uh, I've worked on distributed teams and, and really enjoyed it. So um, what's the biggest benefit that you enjoy by having remote developers or in, you enjoy by having a distributed team? Sure. So I, I say there's actually two really good benefits. Um, one is the, the benefit for the, um, for the, organization, which is that they can get the best people available. Wow. It's not the best people who are within a commuting distance of the office. Um, they have a, a far um, larger um, geography. So the, the team that I lead, uh, we have people spread from uh, Chennai all the way through to the UK. And so um, we've got quite a uh, distributed team. And then there's myself in Australia um, working time shifted. But that gives us um, billions of people that we can choose from. Uh, whereas if we decided that we only wanted people within a commuting distance of the London office, like London is a big city, but there's not billions of people um, around London. So it reduces the number of people that uh, we can attract to the team. And the other 
um, benefit, I think, is for um, the individual team members, because when you're in an office, there's a bit of pressure to kind of be there at nine o'clock and not to leave before five. Whereas if you have a distributed team and you've got people in different time zones, it gives you more flexibility. So myself being based in Australia, I generally um, work a, a time shifted day. I get up in the, the morning, usually late morning, um, you know, have um, breakfast and then check in to see what's going on, see if there's any um, problems I need to deal with. And then in pre-COVID times, I would go out and have lunch with my partner, go shopping, go out and do whatever I wanted for the afternoon, pick kids up from school. And then I would come home and um, start to get into my, my work day. And it just gives a lot more flexibility in your work day. You know, you, you still need to be available and engaged and things like that. But I think when you aren't, stuck in the office there's a different mentality about how you measure um, how well people work absolutely um and i think we're going to talk about how you measure that in a minute um your first point though about um it opens up the the gates for companies to have um access to a lot more developers uh, I'm famous for saying, uh, and this this makes a lot of recruiters mad, uh, if you're not willing to consider remotes, then you're not looking for the best person. You're looking for the most convenient person. And I've been saying that a while. I, I tweeted that out just recently again because a um, company that I'm, I would love to work for um, just won't consider remotes at all. I'm like, in this day, really? You, you, you're making people go into the office? But hey, to each his own. That's you know so, that's their policy. Yeah. I respect that. Like I've been working for overseas clients since two thousand and three. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked a mix of remote and distributed. And yeah, the companies that really get distributed are the ones that I found are the best to to work for. Yeah, yeah. I just came off a contract for two years with a, a company that. Um, had a remote team. There were a few people remote, um, but they were, when I started, they were all in the office. Most everybody else was in the office. Um, of course, with COVID, they shut that down and everybody went distributed. And, uh, but because they had the policies in place already and everything, the infrastructure in place, it, it, it took absolutely nothing for everybody to just go, okay, we're working from home. Hey, um, let me ask you the next question. What's the biggest challenge that you have in managing distributed teams? So I think that it's it's a bit tricky um, when, when you're trying to measure um, how well people are doing because, you know, when you're in an office situation, if someone's struggling, you can kind of see that and you can pull them aside and say, hey, um, is there anything I can do to help you out? Or is there stuff going on that we need to deal with? Whereas when it's, um, you know, just everything on Zoom and, um, you know, in chat, you, you lose a bit of that um, broader context of what's going on for, for people. So you, you have to be more proactive in um, communication and, I also think it's good at the, the start of calls to just have a bit of general chit-chat with people rather than, you know, it's right on, um, you know, 
10 a.m. straight into the, the meeting agenda. Um, so provide some opportunities for a bit of additional engagement so you, you know a bit more about um, what's going on for people. Yeah. Um, I had a team back in 99 and I hired my very first remote. You know, we were all in the office, but I needed this one person. I need somebody that could hack the the Linux kernel and write me a module for that for the app we were doing. And there was nobody in the area. So I hired a friend of mine that was um, out of the area and that keeping tabs on that person, not are you working, but are you okay? Because if we're all in the office and somebody walks in and slams their coffee cup down or slams their door, you know there's a problem, but if there, if you don't have those immediate cues, that can be a bit challenging. And I, I found myself uh, back then, all we had was Skype and IRC, and I found myself, um, you know, on an, on a regular basis, just pinging Adam and say, "Hey, you doing okay?" <laughs> you know? Just making sure that they're okay and hoping he's telling me the truth. So, um, oh, okay. definitely, it's it's so important to understand what's going on for your team. And I think that applies not just for distributed teams or teams with remote people. And even like if we do return to a lot of people working in offices, Mm -hmm. actually understanding what's going on for people in your team is really important to ensure that you're supporting them properly. Yeah, Yeah, I I totally uh, totally agree with that. Um, Now you were managing remotes and distributed teams um, pre-COVID. Um, did already have having remotes and distributed teams set up, um, did, did that help everybody else make the transition or was there still some problems? Um, so for us, we were um, already largely distributed. Um, like we've had um, people work from various locations for a long time, but there were... Um, some people in the organization who weren't used to working from home and weren't really um, set up for it. And some people adjusted quite quickly. Other people, it took them quite some time to adjust. And also um, not everyone is as lucky as I am. I um, have a converted garage that I work from as my office um, we're about to move where I'll actually have a two-room office in the new house. Nice. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, and so um, I'm I'm very privileged, whereas some of um, my team members, they're at home with young children, um, small housing. You know, they're, they're trying to work at the, the kitchen table. And so it, it is challenging for them. And I think companies really need to understand the the different work environments that people have and make allowances and give people support because not everyone is lucky enough to have like a a large multi-story, not multi-story, multi-bedroom house where they can just set things up. And, you know, not everyone wants to have a desk with a webcam where they've got the the bed they sleep in every night over their shoulder. So, um, you know, for, for us, it, um, there, there have been some challenges, more for some of my team members than for myself, though. That's an excellent point. 
And um, as things start to open back up, uh, we're seeing things here um, open back up a little more. I always remind people that um, if they want to continue this, don't call it work from home, call it work remote, because you know, um, there are days when oh, we've got a nice coffee shop nearby, a, a Panera Bread with nice outdoor seating and good Wi-Fi. There are days, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and, and do my morning there and enjoy coffee and something to eat because I can work remote. Um, if, you do, if you tell people you want to work from home or tell management you want to work from home, they have this mental image. And you're right. We all start at the kitchen table. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we, we all work there. I, like you, am lucky enough to have um, an office, not a big office, but um, it is um, crammed full of um, production gear and all kind of fun stuff right now. But at least it is my place. And, um, you know, I, I did some of this when I had little kids also. But um, for the most part, my kids were grown. I didn't have to deal with all of that by the time I started doing my remote work. But you're right, that is a challenge for a lot of people and companies need to be sensitive to that. Um, managers, need to, managers need to look for that and be proactive about it, find ways that they can help. Um, you know, and I, I don't have any suggestions for how they can help, but each situation is unique. They need to be looking, looking out for their employees and for their, um, you know, for their, their mental health. Yeah, I think we've come a long way with that stuff too. Like when my kids were young, they're now teenagers. Um, like when I was on calls, you know, they they were always told when the door shut, you leave that alone, he's working. But kids being kids, they'll, they'll still um, want to come in. There's the, um, the, the famous video of the um, Korean um, expert where he was um, giving the interview with the BBC and his kids just came marching in. My kids would come in um, from time to time and... Mm-hmm. For me, it was always like embarrassing because you look unprofessional and stuff like that. Whereas I think the pandemic has um, meant that a lot of companies now make more allowances. It's like, okay, you know, that person is still being productive, even though their kids come in from time to time. And having a kid come into your workspace is really no different to having a colleague who's going back from the kitchen to their desk, stopping by and going, hey, um, how was your weekend or whatever? It disrupts that flow and still has um, an impact. So, yeah, I think companies are realizing that and are more supportive, which is great. Yeah, I, I agree. And while all of us um, decry the drive-by meeting like that, hey, how about that local sports team and that kind of stuff? Um, I, I actually believe, even though developers love to go deep and get focused on stuff, I believe that every now and then have somebody um, come by and bring you back out of that is, is actually a good thing. Um, it, you know, it, it refreshes your mind to step away from a problem for a minute. Too many of them is a problem, but you know, every now and then, whether it's a coworker or the kids coming in or my dog telling me that she wants to go walk, you know, those, those things, they, they help me. So um, let's talk a little bit about onboarding new employees because I, I've been both the remote employee that has done remote onboarding and I've been um, the remote employee that has been brought out to the office for two weeks to to be onboarded there. Um, Since that's not been an option um, the past couple of years, how has onboarding new employees changed for you? Um, So it's interesting. So I work for um, large companies and small companies. 
for, for large companies, the, the process hasn't changed that much. Um, you know, the, the person starts, a, they end up on um, like a bunch of video conference calls, getting to meet, you know, the, the new team members, talk about processes, talk about what they're going to work on. Um, and it's kind of the, the same process that's always been there because um, with large companies, it's rare to have, you know, 90,000 employees and an army of contractors all in one building. There's people everywhere. So um, that that works better. For smaller companies, I think that um, there, there's still a bit of work needed in having a... This is what we do when a new person starts and having a, a distributed or remote first kind of approach to onboarding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of that um, is, um, you know, not having to have someone come into the office to collect the new hardware, like organised to get it shipped out, um, aim for it to be there on the Friday Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when they start on the Monday, they can open the box rather than spending the first half of their day going, wonder when the FedEx guy is going to turn up. Um, <laughs> That's so a good point. I, think, I never thought about that. But yeah, um, ship to have it there the Friday before they start on Monday. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, if people are using their own equipment, make sure you've got um, processes for handling that and people are aware of that before they're their first day so they can be set up properly um you know for contractors maybe that's um doing all their work in a virtual machine or whatever but having people understand what that process will be up front i think is important yep it's very good um hey what's the one most useful non-developer tool i don't want to hear github or vs code or stuff like that but what's the most useful um non-developer tool that helps you manage distributed teams yeah um i there, there's two um which i use a lot um one is chat um some of my clients use teams um, okay. they pay well enough that i tolerate teams um and then there's the clients who use slack um, and I, I get it that chat can become um, overwhelming for some people and it can become a, a real distraction. Um, at the same time, it, it's a really good way for having asynchronous communication between people and moving from that need where, you know, everyone has to jump on Zoom for a call to discuss something. You can work stuff out over... Um, a period of time in chat. Um, and my second tool, which I know a bunch of devs listening to this will probably be um, screaming at me for suggesting this, but Jira. Um, now, Jira is the least bad ticketing system I've worked with. <laughs> I've worked with a bunch of ticketing systems. Jira is still bad. It's the yep. least bad though, because I can make it do what I want it to do. And it allows me to understand where the work is at. So I'm not being that manager who is pinging people all the time going, what's happening with this piece of work? What's happening with that piece of work? I can go into JIRA. I can look at the board. I can see where things are at. If there's stuff that concerns me, I can ping the, the dev and we can chat about it or I can leave a comment on the ticket. Um, but those two tools 
allow me to have good engagement with my team, but allow them the space to be productive um, without me having to be, you know, one of those managers who's just um, hassling them all the time for updates. I, I agree. And that's very important. Um, I think JIRA really ought to uh, um, adopt that as their tagline. We're the least bad. Uh, yeah. Because you're right, nobody likes it, but it does serve a um, very important um, role. You've, you've got to have some way to do that. And the other option, like you said, is to be constantly bugging your um, developer saying, what's the status on this? You know, So having some lines of communication, but it, it all, and it all boils down to communication. Both of those are communications tools. Um, I do like a good chat system that I can turn off. You know, um, I work with, um, well, I work with Gun.io. And one thing Gun does uh, very well is we've got a channel called reporting. And every morning, everybody logs in and says, this is what I'm working on. And if they've got to step away from the keyboard, they say, I'm going to be AFK for so long to you know, run errands or something like that. But if they've just got to be heads down, they say, I'm out for the um, afternoon, heads down on X. And nobody cares, but everybody knows, you know, that, that way I don't go looking for people if, you know, if I see in reporting that um, they're not going to be answering, you know, I know I've got to find my answers elsewhere. So um, now you're in Australia and you work with people in, um, like you said, in, in London, you work with people all over. Time zones have got to be a real problem. How, how do you handle that? Um, how do you handle distributed teams where people are in a multitude of time zones? Yeah. So um, for me, the, the key piece is um, defining your boundaries. And so I have a general rule that I'm available for 12 hours every day from noon till midnight um, local time. And I, I do that year round. And so um, during the Australian summer, um, that means midnight for me is 8 a.m. in the US um, for the East Coast and even earlier for the, the West Coast. Um, but Having that, those boundaries makes it a lot easier for me to um, manage um, my time. And also just not having the evenings drag on because in the past I've kind of gone, all right, this time I'll, I'll do a meeting till 12.30. And then someone puts a recurring call on 12 till 1. And then it's like, oh, well, Dave's on calls till 1 o'clock we've got a call that needs to happen at one, that, that'll be just after a call. And before I know it, my calendar's full of stuff till 2am. And then the days I need to get up early and do stuff or um, I, because you need to wind down once you finish a, a work day. So it just drags on. So my rule is midnight to uh, midday to midnight. It means that um, for people in um, the West Coast, um, I usually can um, still see them in the morning if there's stuff we need to chat about and we'll schedule a call at the end of their day, which I can do at the start of my day. Um, and for people on the East Coast, sometimes they, they get a bit annoyed about, you know, having to get on a call early, but it's like, well, I'm sticking around at 11 or 12 o'clock at night to get overlap with you. We both need to compromise a bit here. And that, that's the other part of it. Everyone needs to be a bit flexible, like have your hard boundaries, 
but make sure that those hard boundaries have um, enough of a time span in there to provide some um, flexibility. And I'm, I don't expect people to work the, the 12 to 12 like I do. I've done this for um, probably um, close to a decade now. Um, and I've worked other times with um, clients um, in Europe and stuff. So I'm used to this time shifted um, day, but I don't think that, you know, it's reasonable for people to be available 16 hours a day just in case um, people need it or for organisations to have an expectation that people are going to be getting up at, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning to jump on calls to um, to to deal with things. You, you need to find that middle ground for everyone. Yep, you need to do that. And you, you need to set hard boundaries, like you said. Um, my very first time, I live in the East Coast, and my very first time working for a company in the West Coast, their favorite thing to do would be schedule a meeting on Friday at 3 p.m. their time. Well, that's five my time. I would accept, but I would always put, can't uh, can't promise sobriety. So, you know, because you're cutting into my drinking time at that point. So, but if you still want me there, I'm with you. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, um, the, the, the big problem, the problem that every, everything I hear from non-technical managers when I'm talking to them about um, remote developers is, well, how do I know that they're working? Because traditionally, butts and seats is the way we measured working. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're sitting there, obviously you're working because nobody ever just sits at their desk and surfs the internet. So how do you handle making sure that your developers, I don't want to say are working, are, are productive as they need to be. Yeah, so that that's the, the key distinction. Are people being productive? Mm. And that's what you should be measuring now. I'm a contractor. I get like contractors, people want to do hourly rates. I'm, I'm quite happy doing an hourly rate. Um, if the rate's high enough, I'll negotiate a, a day rate, but I do like my hourly rate. Companies generally like the hourly arrangement as well because they're not paying for time that's um, not being used. But I think that measuring are people being productive and are they delivering value is um, the, the key thing that um, you should be measuring, not butts in seats, how long um, someone spends on um, Zoom or WebEx in a week. Because, you know, you can fill your calendar with meetings and then you've got no time for doing the action items you sign up for on those calls. So delivering um, value and being productive needs to be the measures and you need processes for um, measuring individual productivity. And, you know, you want to see people growing over time. Like, I don't think that you can really take two developers and benchmark them against each other. Like, you know, this dev delivered 50% more points than this dev over the last six months because, you know, everyone knows you can gain points in um, sprints. Or this developer um, build more hours than the other dev. Well, maybe that just means it took them longer to actually get the work done. Um, so I think you need ways of measuring our people um, delivering value and being productive and that that's going to be different for 
different teams because um, what you consider delivering value may be different to what I consider to be um, delivering value as well. And, you know, maybe doing the job properly the first time, um, like, you know, writing clean code, having tests, all of that stuff, for some organizations that will be highly valued. For a startup that's just trying to get the product out the door, there's more likely to be a just crank out the code, don't worry about the tech debt. Um, once we get the VC money, we'll come back and fix that. And so um, you, you need to determine the, the metrics. And you also need to make sure that they're not easily gamed because developers are problem solvers. And, you know, metrics are just another problem to be solved. So whatever yep. metrics you set up, if they can be gamed, they'll find a way. Good point. Good point. Hey, um, we've talked a little bit about this earlier on, but communication is incredibly important when you're managing distributed teams. Um, we talked about how you communicate with your developers, but how do you make sure that the team itself is communicating? Yep. Um, and I think that's really important because having devs talk to managers, um, you know, that that makes sure that the um, the developers on the, the manager's radar, that doesn't mean they're working well with um, the rest of the team. And yep. I think that it's better, or it's actually critical for them to be able to work with other members of the team. Like, you know, them telling me what's going on, that's good, but I want to see the, the team work together and the team delivering. And I know that some organizations, they want everything in the group chat. So, they can see that people are communicating. I think that there is a time and a place for group communication and that group communication um, in group channels is really important. Um, but also having people DMing each other when they're unsure of stuff yeah. means people are going to be more likely to ping someone and say, I'm not sure about this, um, rather than spending, you know, half a day with Google and Stack Overflow trying to figure it out. Um, because, you know, there, there is a certain degree of feeling shame for some people by saying, I don't know. Like, I'm at the point in my career where I'm more than happy to go, hey, I don't know, but give me half a day, I'll try to figure it out. Um, <clears throat> or, hey, can you give me the info? Mm -hmm. um, so then I can jump on a call and make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, so... But I think that having the team be confident about being able to communicate in a group, but also directly with each other is important. And on my team, um, we've got people who speak a range of different languages. Now, I've had um, some conversations where some people have suggested, I don't care seeing multiple languages in a chat. Um, based on what I've seen, you won't get people using their native language in a chat, which is primarily English, but they will set up a, another channel, which is just for discussion in that language. I don't need to be there because I'm not going to run the whole chat log through Google Translate. I've got better things to do with my time. But if they're, and, you know, they might be sitting there going, oh, Dave's such a bad boss. I don't care. Like, so long as they're talking and they're delivering, um, you know, I'm happy and I'm sure that there's multiple native language chats um, 
at work that I'm not even aware of, and that's fine. That means people are um, collaborating. That, excellent, and um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, DMing it doesn't all have to be in the main channel. Um, I, I learned this. I spent two years on a team, and I thought everything had to be out there in the open. And I would ask, you know, what I considered embarrassing questions about you know basic stuff. And finally, um, one of the developers said, look, if you, if you got a question just like that, just DM me, okay? We can talk about this. And from that point on, you know, I, I'd, I'd help people when they ask in the channel, but if I've got something that's not relevant to everybody, I can just ask, you know, the appropriate person. Um, okay, here's the hard one. You've got remote developers. You've got onboarding, remote onboarding. Um, how to put this politely, how do you remote offboard someone? <laughs> how do you deliver bad news via remote? Um, so I've seen several news stories where companies have invited large numbers of people onto Zoom and mm-hmm. just said, if you're on this call, see you later. I think that's an awful way of oh, that's dealing horrible. with things. Also making people watch pre-recorded videos telling them that they've been fired, mm-hmm. just as bad. Um like it, it's really tricky to tell someone that um, they've got to go. Um, like when it's face to face, it's uncomfortable. Um, at least with if you're doing it over video, um, you, you hit the the end call button and you're not actually um, watching them pack up their their desk as they they leave. Yeah. Which you know, um, I I kind of. Um, I'm happy that you avoid that bit, but it's not easy um, letting people go. Doing it over video does feel a bit impersonal. Um, I've, you know, um, quit jobs um, via email in the past on remote jobs where, you know, it's kind of felt like it's time. I've um, done it over the phone. I've done it face-to-face. As the person quitting, it doesn't feel good. Um, I've actually been lucky enough that I haven't been fired, but I have fired um, people. And yeah, doesn't matter the scenario. It's always uncomfortable. But one thing that I think it doesn't matter how you're um, letting someone go, um, having processes to remove their access um, at the appropriate times is important. And, you know, I've been in situations where um, I've been given a heads up that someone will be walked um, in a couple of hours and to make sure that at a certain time, their access to everything is removed. Now, not a um, great position to be in, be the person who's ripping out the access, but having the forethought to um, plan for that can be important. But generally try to have a good relationship with people where you can go, look, this isn't working. Let's um, have a plan for transitioning out rather than letting it get to the point where it's just like, see you later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been on the receiving end of that call before and um, it's, it, it's not happy for either one of them. And I, I was good friends with my boss. I knew that this was painful for him. Um, I knew that, you know, the, and we, we both knew why this was a financial decision by the company. It had nothing to do with performance or anything else. Um, you know, but it still, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good, 
a good feeling. And, and quite honestly, I felt that he dealt with it with more empathy and compassion over Zoom than, you know, I, I, I've seen other people deal with in the same situation. So, you know, as long as you're being honest with people, as honest as you can be in that situation, you know, HR has very specific rules about what you can and can't say. So mm-hmm. anyhow, hey, Dave, I want to thank you for taking some time to um, be with us today here on Frontier. Um, I, I, I've learned a whole lot. Uh, audience, I hope you have. Um, thank you, Dave, for staying up with us. Audience, thank you for being here with us. Hey, do me a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode, go out to your favorite podcatcher, whatever you use to stream audio, and give us a rating. You know, Leave us five thumbs up, five stars, whatever. If you did not enjoy it, or if you think that there's some better way we can serve you, drop me an email, cal at gun.io. I would love to hear how we can make this podcast more useful to you. Thank you. We'll see you right here next time on Frontiers. Thanks for listening to the Frontier podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.